Hello, and we're back with another episode of CMO Combo, the podcast from CMO Alliance, where we talk all about the big ideas shaping the role of CMOs in the modern world. This time, it's Elliot Rayner, CMO of Arian, and he's joining us to cover marketing around societal movements and the challenges and advantages this can present for brands. Hi, Elliot. Welcome to uh, CMO Combo. How are you doing today? Yeah, really well. Uh, thanks for having me. I've been, you know, we've been planning to do this for a while. I'm glad we could sit down and uh, talk, uh, talk about something. Definitely, definitely, because it's a it's an interesting thing that we're talking about today. Um, a lot of our a lot of our audience are in the B two B space, so this is kind of a bit of a different perspective, which is sort of sports tech, which I guess can be B two B, but it's also B two C as well. And talking about movement based marketing, which is something that is maybe more prevalent in B two C, but I think it does have a lot of relevance to B two B, particularly with a greater focus on sort of brand values and B2B companies. So I think it's going to apply across the board. Uh, but before we do get down to that discussion, maybe you want to introduce yourselves to our audience, tell us a bit about your background and, and maybe give a bit of an overview of what we're talking about today. Yeah, sure. So uh, my name's Elliot Rayner. I'm from uh, Newcastle, the north of England. Uh, I spent most of my career completely in marketing, but in two very distinct different industries. So first leg of my career in sports. So I worked for, for Adidas for, for seven, eight years, and then over to ASICS for three, four years. So uh, working on creating sports products and sports marketing. And then my second leg moving more into to tech. So I was a head of product marketing for Babbel, the, the, the language app, uh, and worked as a, a digital consultant as well. And now I've got the opportunity to combine both of those worlds. So I'm working in sports tech, which is uh, something I'm, I'm really interested in uh, and being able to combine uh, everything I've learned. So right now I'm working for, for Arian and Arian is a, is a really interesting deep tech brand that uses innovations to help people understand more about the way they move. So uh, helping people understand their technique their, and helping them to run a little bit faster, a little bit further and hopefully a lot safer. So a lot of our technology is uh, utilized to help people reduce their running injuries, which is a, a nice purpose-driven uh, vision, which I think is what led us into the conversation we wanted to have today, which is movement marketing, which is, I think, uh, it's it's a, something that when I look at some of the best performing brands in the world, especially the ones that grow very fast, uh, movement marketing is more commonly becoming more associated with their marketing strategy. And I think that's, uh, I know, one thing we wanted to talk about. And let's just let's just clarify because it's not just a clever pun on the industry area when we're talking about movement marketing. It, it is a, an actual an actual concept. And maybe what, can we talk about what what do we mean when we talk about movement marketing and movements behind marketing? Yeah, I think it's uh, there's a few different descriptions for it. It's one of those more uh, new kind of, of things, but um, it's usually when a brand tries to um, latch onto something more than just their themselves or their customer so something within society that's changing uh, usually like a social trend uh, one of the the good descriptions i've seen from the deloitte article which we were reviewing together is that movement marketing is the intersection between brand identity and a social trend so it really takes a lot of uh, um, time to understand what your brand is and who you want to be and what kind of movements exist where you can um, really connect uh, and in doing so, um, what you want to do is really become part of that movement and make a difference. There's some really great examples of companies that do it well, and there's some really terrible examples of brands doing it badly. And I think the reason for that is it's movement marketing is not one of those things that every brand should do. 
it's not a, a new strategy that every brand should be going towards, like a fashionable thing. Only some brands should do it. And even if they do it, there's some rules to follow to make sure you're doing it right, because uh, it can uh, be disastrous when in the wrong hands. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to digging into the examples, particularly the negative ones, because it's yeah. always more fun talking about the disasters than it is about You can the always learn more um, through some of the failure, uh, as always, than uh, some of the more positive examples. And uh, there are a few of those dotted about. Definitely, definitely. So let's let's talk about what is the what are the benefits of latching on to these kinds of movements? Well, latching on probably is the wrong choice of word. Um, becoming a part of these types of movements is probably a better way of putting it. Latching on sounds a bit a bit false, a bit. Well, I think it's funny because that, that language is exactly the, the when it works right and when it works wrong. I think the times when it doesn't work right is when uh, it's quite transparent to the audience that you are latching on and you're not being authentic. Um, but when you are doing it right to answer your question, the, the, the benefits are huge. I think um, the real benefit is, is that your audience starts marketing on your behalf. Uh, because they're so convinced of your brand, you no longer need to depend on yourself, your own marketing budget and your team to talk about how great your brand is and what your brand does. Because if you're part of a movement, then the, the movement actually does that as well. And I think that's, uh, that's one of the key uh, attributes of a brand that's done movement marketing right, is that their audience um, speak about it. Maybe going into our first example, there is uh, Tesla. Now, living in the Netherlands, like it feels like every third person has a Tesla here. It's, it's, a, it's a really big market for it. And if you ever spend a coffee or a beer with anyone who has a Tesla, you really talk about it not as a product or an asset, but being part of a community. They, they really feel uh, and they talk about it uh, with a lot of passion and, and they, they feel like they're a part of something and they're a part of movement. So Tesla is one of those brands that famously doesn't really have a traditional marketing budget. They don't spend a lot of money saying how great they are. And I think the reason for that is that they have managed to uh, get their audience to do that for them. And I, I, I strongly believe, and some of the more examples will go through, what you'll see is that the majority of people who are converting to a product, it's because other people are through word of mouth are saying, you've got to try this, which is really a marketer's dream. When you don't have to do anything, you're just relying on word of mouth. You've got millions of, uh, of, of, of customers who are being your marketers for you. And I think um, that's the true benefit of mar movement marketing done right. And I, ideally, these movements that you're connecting the brands to are something that are, are beneficial to society. So having your brand associated with that beneficial movement, this beneficial trend in how people are behaving, has got to be something that's really powerful. Um, it's got to be something that's... Like, if you're brand is sort of the, the top of mind when it comes to a positive movement in society, then that's got to be something that's really powerful. Yeah, I think um, one of the, the ways to say it is uh, inspire and invoke emotion is one of the, the things that Deloitte uh, point out as a common thread between these movements. You know, uh, positive and negative can always be seen in, in different ways, whereas who's it positive for and who's it negative for. But for sure, um, the, the ability to invoke some kind of inspiration and emotion uh, if you think of something like a, a paperclip company, no matter how much they want to be involved in movement marketing, it's probably very difficult to do that when you've got a product or a brand that traditionally um, is more of a functional need rather than something that people really identify with. Uh, and when you've got a brand like that, you've got much more likely to be able to uh, be logically connected with a similar, very positive and an inspirational movement. And it's, it's always going to be some super beneficial in terms of in terms of UGC as well, like you talked about the word of mouth, 
kind of thing. But if you have a powerful hashtag associated with it and everyone's using that hashtag and creating content and you're, they're using your brand, um, that's got to be something that's going to be hugely beneficial to marketers and hugely beneficial to, beneficial to, to the, the customers as well because it's yeah. connecting them with each other. You're building a community around this kind of movement. Yeah, that was one of my favorite points um, that, that uh, one of the other connections is brands that are um, able to visually display that commitment. So um, that if you have a tag, which allows you to show you're part of that movement. So the examples it gives is a Starbucks cup. Um, so, you know, Starbucks, if you look at the social trend they might have attached onto is um, the ability to use their uh, retail spaces to invite people in for an experience, which was part of a, a movement of, of uh, less people working in the offices and more freelancers and more a cultural movement. Um, and one way of displaying that was through the cup. Uh, it, it's it, and another one was the the, the Livestrong bracelets, um, where was so famous for a while. But I think my favorite one is uh, that they use is the Harley Davidson jacket. You know, um, whenever someone buys into a, a Harley Davidson, they're buying something more than the product. When you look at their their brand identity, they're they're always associated. Um, on the wheel with with the idea of the emotion of freedom you know you're jumping on your harley davidson you're riding off into the sunset that's what you're buying into and they have that leather jacket which can show you off people are proud i'm part of this biker community that's my identity and so the more you've got something where not only can they be a part of the movement but you're giving your audience a way to show off that they're a part of it uh once again the tesla is another good example that um if you if you can have something like that um, even more than a hashtag, but a digital or a physical product or tag, then uh, I think those that's a really wise thing to have in movement marketing. And the brands that do it best usually have the ability to do that. And it's interesting you mentioned the the Harley Davidson example because you you can you see all the time. I don't know if you've been to many my, many biker pubs. I've been to a couple in my time. But oh really? If, if you see two people with Harley Davidsons, they will start talking to yeah. each other. They'll start talking mm -hmm. very loudly about how much they love their Harley Davidsons. It's it, it's almost a way of them creating FOMO for not being in this community without think, even realizing it. Yeah, the Tesla, it's interesting because you look at in one pub, you could have three Tesla owners, uh, three uh, Harley Davidson owners, and then maybe three people who are obsessed with Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, which I also think is a is a, is a kind of movement and they will speak very loudly about it. And uh, it, because they bring it into their identity, they think oh, I, I'm really part of this. I really believe in it. Um, so yeah, I think that's exactly what these these brands are aiming for when it's done right. Is that they um, they're more than just the brand and the product. They um, they represent that that inspiration or they represent an emotion, uh, and they're just a part of that community. And I think that's a another really important part of when we talk about movement marketing is an essential part of it is community, which is so important for every marketer now. Is like how do you build this community? And I think that's a fundamental part of. Um, movement marketing there aren't many brands who have been successful in movement marketing who haven't utilized community as a key foundational piece of achieving that success let's talk about some of the ones that have been really successful we touched on a couple of examples but i think there are a few that you really want to highlight as part of our conversation as examples that we should be looking towards yeah i think that there, there's a lot out of there and i'm always looking for, for new ones and uh, i think they are rare and i think for the reasons that we've just discussed, they, they should be rare. You know, not everyone can do it. And also the, the social trends don't just grow in trees. You know, you have to wait for the right time. It's not just being having the right uh, strategy, but also the right time. 
Um, I mean, the, the, the fundamental one I go back to over and over, I don't think I've done a, a marketing presentation without this brand in, which is Patagonia. Uh, so I'm coming from the fashion or the sports industry. And I think Patagonia have always been seen as this brand that goes the extra mile with their messaging and, and their vision. Uh, I think one thing we'll, we'll talk about a little bit is sustainability, because sustainability is a, a very important social trend that has millions of um, failed movement marketing attempts. I think there's every brand, you, you'll struggle to find a single brand that doesn't have some part of a website which says why they're so good at sustainability. But I think that's what makes a difference of Patagonia is that um, they don't just say what they do, they back it up with actions as well. And, you know, um, a, a great example is Patagonia's campaign of, um, you know, literally saying, we don't want you to buy more than one of our winter jackets. Buy it once, uh, bring it back. If it's damaged, we'll repair it. We, we don't want you to have more than one, which is an incredible thing for a, for a, a company that depends on sales to say is, is to, to do that. Uh, it's very ambitious. Uh, but it's putting their money where their mouth is to, to what their brand is, which is a sustainability first. And I think that's why they're such a powerful brand within an industry where being a powerful brand makes a difference within the Nikes and the Adidas who so much of their budget goes to reinforcing brand because it's the difference between a sale and not a sale. Uh, Patagonia does it with a much less budget, but just being so concise and so meaningful and so inspirational and actually backing it up. Um, so I think they're a really great uh, brand of doing it. However, there's another brand that has emerged extremely successfully over the last few years, specifically during the pandemic, uh, which is Oatly, uh, who make oat milk. Uh, once again, you wouldn't naturally think of it as an incredibly evoking emotion and inspirational product, but they've managed to time um, the connection with the social trend perfectly with this rise in healthy eating, uh, uh, plant-based diet, uh, conscious of animal welfare, which is uh, growing really, uh, really well, especially in, in the last three years. But then once again, doing it in a very meaningful way. So backing it up, um, being very clear on their marketing. And I think um, there, there are a few brands that are doing a better job right now with their marketing, and you can see how fast they're growing. I think uh, if you go to any supermarket now, you'll, you, you know, your success is, is, you know, many brands find it and smell it very early on. If you go to a supermarket now, you'll probably find 50 oat milk brands that weren't there before. And yet it seems they're able to keep such a dominant uh, part of that market, which is not easy to do when basically when all you're selling is oat milk, you know, it's, uh, it depends completely on the brand. And so I think they're, uh, they're doing a very good job of, uh, and a really good example for how movement marketing can really build a brand from nothing. And, pretty much be the, the foundation of their whole success is uh, is their brand and their strategy of movement marketing. Definitely, definitely. And there, there's, there's two examples that you gave as well. They, they've sort of become the things you instantly, they're, they're top of mind when it comes to their their sort of their sectors as well, their verticals. Like when I think of outdoor jackets, I will instantly think of Patagonia. When I think <laughs> of oat milk, Oatly is the first thing that comes to mind. And it shows the strength of sort of the, the the brand recognition that could come from being at the forefront of these movements as well. Um, Pat Patagonia in, in particular is a great example. Like the, they're not only, they're not only speaking to like the sustainability movement, but they're also speaking to their customers, customers who buy Patagonia stuff. They want it to last a lifetime. They want something they can feel they can trust that lasts a lifetime. So if they're saying we only want you to buy, buy one thing, then 
you've got to trust that that's something that's going to last for your entire life. And exactly, yeah. yeah. And that, that's what they've done is really clever in that and respect. It's a really strange irony to it because obviously that's the it's fighting overconsumption, which they identify as one of the key parts of sustainability, which most brands don't want to do. They want to talk about recycled materials. But um, the fact is that if you really want to tackle that, you have to decrease consumption. But most brands don't want to be authentic or transparent about that because that usually means less sales. So Patagonia actually going one step further to, to do that. But then the irony is, I, I think uh, I've read quotes of them, you know, those campaigns leading to double figure growths uh, because of what you're saying. So so even when they're, they're saying that it's going to lead to higher sales anyway, so it's a strange one, but um, it just shows you how powerful um, really good branding through movement marketing can be where they're, they're not just talking about themselves. They're talking about the social movement and being a key leader in that. And I think that's the, the key to great movement marketing. Definitely. So let's, let's flip the coin. Let's, let's talk about what everyone's waiting for, for us to talk about. Let's talk about the disasters when it comes to, to movement marketing, who's, who's attempted this and who has really absolutely failed at it. Yeah, I think, I think there are um, a lot of failures. Most of them probably aren't as famous because they just uh, dissolve, you know, a bad movement marketing campaign you won't hear of because it's, you know, when marketing's not successful, you don't hear of it. But the the key one, I think, uh, is good to talk about because I think everybody knows that people who don't study marketing is um, Pepsi's big campaign with, I think, Kendall Jenner mm -hmm. at the time. Um, during this time, it was a lot of uh, political unrest and a lot of protesting on the streets. So once again, uh, the brand, as we said, movement marketing is the intersection of brand identity and social trend. They looked at the social trend. This was something that was going on and they probably thought, well, that's a great opportunity for a brand to be a part of that. They probably looked at their own uh, brand identity and, and maybe more the consumer personas of like, this is young people on the streets. This is, this is our key market. And yeah, it was, it was a disaster. They were, they were seen as uh, they think they, they pulled the campaign. Uh, there were a lot of apologies. They invested a huge amount of money and they, they get used as an example of what not to do in, in, for many different reasons, and not just for movement marketing. And I think it's quite easy to see why it was a failure. Um, you know, they took, you know, a lot of these movements and social trends are very sensitive as well. They're not to be played around with for corporate benefit. Um, and even if you do, um, the, it's quite easy for someone to see when you're being disingenuine. I think that's the, the biggest task we have as marketers now is that majority of people are quite cynical. And for obvious reasons, I mean, I used to work for, for the sports brands and every year I'd be saying, this running shoe or this football boot is going to change your life. It's better, it's faster, it's stronger. And then six months later, I'll be saying the same thing. And how many times as a consumer can you be heard that this is the best, this is best ever. And then, you know, you're bombarded with a million different marketing messages a day. You're going to become more cynical with how you look at brands and products. And so you need to be able to prove, you need not just through words, but through actions. And I think most people recognize, well, what does Pepsi have to do with the, uh, political unrest and protesting and uh, social freedoms. And uh, yeah, I think that's ultimately less what led to them being seen as the, the ultimate what not to do when it comes to movement marketing. I think one of the issues with the, the Pepsi example was that they, they were evoking political imagery without actually saying anything political. <laughs> they, were, they were trying to have their cake and eat it too. <laughs> and I think a, a great contrast to that is the, um, the Coca-Cola share a Coke campaign. <laughs> Um, from a few years ago I think it is still running in quite a few parts of the world um, yeah. which shows the the longevity of this um, and that was fully apolitical and it was all just about 
sharing a Coke with one another and taking a picture of you sharing that Coke with your name on it and stuff like that. And yeah. it increased sales massively. I don't know if it counts as a movement necessarily, but it was still encouraging their the, the consumers to get out, buy the Coke and do something with it, which kind of is the, a movement. It's got that call to action. It's got everything. I think, uh, yeah, the in- increase of connectedness and, uh, and coming together for sure. And it, one of my former bosses was uh, obsessed with, with Coca-Cola as, as a brand and would use them as an example all the time. And I think one of the reasons why that works is it's amazing for a, a brand of Coca-Colas to be um, around for so long in so many markets over so many decades. And actually what's core to their brand has always been the same with this idea of sharing happiness and sharing moments. You can look at the, 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 brand, the brand campaigns from the 1950s onwards where it's still apparent. And I think that's why that works, because we're able to see the consistency and the authenticity uh, of that compared to uh, the Pepsi example or other brands example, where um, you don't really understand uh, what that's about. There was a great video that went around last year at the very first lockdown during the pandemic, where every brand saw the opportunity to reassure their audiences and Somebody put together, I think, a compilation of like the 30 brands together, how they were using the same language, the same piano music, Mm -hmm. uh, the same language. They're they're always saying, we've been here since established and reassuring that we've been around. And a lot of them just felt so empty. Uh, And I think for the same reason, uh, Tesla, once again, is an example of one of these brands and they're saying, we're going to be here for you. And we've been around for, for a long time. But Tesla is a brand you know, you, you don't see them as a loving, protective brand. You see them as engineering and innovation. So it feels quite strange. I always use the example. It's like a, a family member who's uh, you've never had a good relationship with suddenly telling you how much they, they love you, or want to hug you. Be, oh, this is a bit strange. You haven't mm. earned that right, that relationship. And so that's what brands have to be careful. Just because the opportunity is there. Oh, wow. This is a great opportunity where people really want to feel protected. Yes, but is your brand, have you earned the right to do that? Uh, you know, you, it, it's a very dangerous thing to just follow the market. Uh, and you should really, that's once again, brand identity. Does your brand actually have the authenticity and transparency to be able to send that message? Uh, some do and some don't. And I think uh, someone like UNICEF could do the exact same commercial language, music and copy is that Tesla one and it would work brilliantly. So there's nothing wrong with the copy and, and, and the marketing strategy and the content, but it's the voice and the brand hasn't earned the right to say that. I think it all comes down to, to walking the walk at the end of the day, isn't it? Like it's not, you can say these things connected with the movement, but if you're not actually showing any kind of any action to back it up, then it's, yeah. it's an empty promise. I like what you said about the the Pepsi example. Is exactly that. There, there was no risk other than the risk that it that it failed, which it they did. Look stupid. Yeah. Whereas the Patagonia example, there's a lot of risk. You're telling your customers not to buy your product. That's huge. Um, and I'm sure there was a lot of people in the room saying, "You're crazy. We can't do this." And uh, um, but that and I think that's the difference. And and, and customers recognize that. Uh, you know, the you you. It's about having principles, I guess. And you know, it's you know there's a lot of to say about how brands are very similar to people eh? like they they have to earn respect and uh, and do that so and people can recognize that so uh, people are getting better and better at seeing when pe- when brands are genuine or not so in in the same time marketers have to get better and better and making sure that their their brand is uh, very clear and concise and, and have a really good understanding of who they are and who they want to be definitely definitely so 
With all that in mind, um, we've talked about the positives, the negatives, the risks, the benefits. How are you? How are you approaching this, uh, Arian? Like, what what approach are you taking with the uh, with? I don't know if you're. Are you creating a movement? Is there a movement already happening that you're trying to establish yourself with? Like, what how is what kind of approach are you taking? Yeah, for us, it was it, it was very different. It was more of an aha moment of once again starting with our own brand and seeing what is our value what why do what do people like about our products so for example one of the things we one of our products is arian hub you can go into any uh, football uh, running retail uh, space and choose three shoes put our technology inside the shoe and it'll tell you exactly how you've run in all three so you can see that you're better in cadence for the nike shoe better in flight time for the adidas shoe and what it does at the end is it gives you your complete digital foot strike so it's actually uh, when it, it always gets to this point where someone does it, where they have this aha moment of, oh my God, that's that's me. Now I understand what I'm doing wrong, uh, how I'm moving. It's always like, I always compare it to, if you ever hear your own uh, voice, you always have that weird moment and go, oh my God, is that what I sound like? And uh, that's what people get when they say, oh my God, is that how I run or how I move? And it's a, this moment of self-discovery. And I think people really like that. They like learning about themselves. And that was a kind of really interesting thing for us. They're like, oh, there's, there's something in that that's more than the product. And I think um, the best products don't talk about what they, what they do. They talk about the value that they bring. And the value that we bring is helping people to understand more about themselves. And in doing so, help them to change their running technique, to buy better running shoes. And so we just started leaning into that a little bit more uh, and came up with this concept of running identity in that every runner is incredibly unique. And before you um, buy a new pair of shoes or you sign up for a marathon, it's a good idea to learn a bit more about yourself before you do that. And yeah, that's been our kind of adventure of, of moving into that social trend and definitely not creating anything. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a movement that many brands are involved in. I think one another good example that we can bring into that, which is already existing, is, is Peloton. I mean, you saw Peloton really explode as a brand and, and it's more than one movement. Uh, it's one is... Yes, it's um, self-improvement and, and health and fitness. But once again, Peloton are famous for building communities that uh, now you can't go to a cycling club, but you can join dozens of people around the world at the same time digitally on your bike. And so there are a lot of uh, fitness brands leaning into it. And I think we're just um, finding our voice and uh, being very careful to, to be authentic and, and transparent about that for the obvious reasons that we've discussed is that... Um, that's what you need to do in order to be successful. And, and the timing of it is probably a really, probably a really, really good time to sort of capitalize on this because I know myself included, many, many people got into running during, mm -hmm. the, during the lockdown because of the pandemic and because of lack of access to gyms and stuff like that. And having these kinds of movements is seeing a way, I can see it as a way of carrying that kind of motivation forward, evolving it. Because I know, I know lots of people, myself included again, who started running because it was the only way they could exercise. And now they're moving into the stage of like, oh, I really enjoy running. I want to take it further. I'm going to sign up to a half marathon. I'm going to sign up to a full marathon, that kind of thing. Yeah. And they might not necessarily be prepared for that, but having this kind of community, this kind of network that you can connect with could be a very, very powerful thing to help keep that motivation going. Is that something yeah. you had in mind when you were, you were bringing this in? No, absolutely. You've hit on a few things there. I mean, I think, you know, that was one of the tough things that, um, 
a lot of people have obviously moved to e-com where they can't they during the pandemic and lockdown they can't go to a store and uh, usually it's a good place to go because these guys are very well trained to let you know what shoes to wear and you know the the science is there that by wearing the wrong shoes you can completely uh, damage your, your knees and, and increase injuries so it's a very it's important thing so the more that we can highlight that and help people find the right shoes and, and adapt their technique um, that's a really important thing uh, and it's a social trend and, and another part of it is, is is a big social trend now which a lot of brands are pushing into which is personalization uh, people really like to feel unique and um, explore and understand more about themselves and there are many different apps and brands out there who are really um, attributing their brand uh, to that. And I think ours is the same. Um, you know, in the past, um, a lot of the sports brands want you to be a category. You're a marathon runner or you're a heel striker or you're a trail runner. And really, it's it's not as easy to do that. What our metrics show is that we've got now 50 million footsteps recorded Every single person is incredibly unique from their body types, from their technique, from their ambitions. And so it pays off to understand a little bit more about yourself before you do that. So this idea of personalization, I think, is really important as well. And one of the things, ways we're trying to highlight that we, we talked about before about the benefits of having this tag. So this Harley Davidson jacket and what is our Harley Davidson jacket? So after just doing a one minute running, you're able to see your digital foot strike. So you actually see exactly how your shoe, your foot lands within the shoe. And that that's a very enlightening because you can see if you land more on your heels, if you're balanced, and it's a really good key to understanding whether you've got good running technique or not. Or not. And so one of our first things was, well, let's make this thing shareable. Let's make this something that people can keep. So the next time they go to buy shoes, they can say, by the way, this is me. Can you recommend what pair of shoes would be good for this running technique? And to put that power in their hands, you know, the same way as if you've ever been fitted for snowboard boots or fitted for a really great suit, you get your measurements. You should always keep that information eh? because it's very unique to you and it's going to empower you to be able to make better product choices in the future. And that's what we want to be for running shoes. We want to be that thing you keep that is completely unique for you. And it's your little badge of honor. It's your running identity. And so we're still exploring how to, to, to push that further once we talked about community we would love uh, to build a community where people are sharing it with each other and saying wow this is mine this is how i adapted my technique and this is how it's changing but it takes a a, a lot more effort to cultivate that and that's that's something we're, we're exploring how to how, how to um to build that in the future because yeah that shareability um like that is hugely powerful i'm, I'm thinking of like wearable technology like fitbits and stuff like that like when they first launched people were a little resistant to them except in mm -hmm. very very niche parts but i think it was when you start being able to share your stats online on social media and stuff like that i think that's when it really started to explode as a, as a popular like not, not just a popular piece of equipment but a popular thing just to have it's a, it's become yeah. like a fashion accessory and it's that shareability i think was the real real kickstart to that yeah and it's something that we're trying to explore as well because i think that the problem with that shareability when it comes to performance is uh how many times can you share how great you did a 10K and how interested are other people? So for example, if you were to read a post from someone saying, wow, I, I've now done my fastest 10K, that's interesting. But if you saw a post from someone say, I've had knee injuries my whole life and I used this to understand my technique and now I don't have knee injuries anymore. If you've ever had that feeling in your knee, you're really going to be interested in that post because it's a very human thing. It's not showing off. It's very meaningful. 
Uh, and I think that there's a lot more room to play around in that um, when it comes to content and sharing and community, when it's about reducing injuries rather than improving performance. And I mean, it can use for both, but I think um, this idea of, you know, human movement and reducing injuries is we talked before about inspiring in, uh, inspiration and evoking emotion. That's a much more and better playground for us to be in rather than um, if you use this, you're going to be able to shave five seconds off your marathon time, which is still true. And it's still, uh, it's great, but it's a lot more of a niche message compared to everyone in the world's got a body. Everyone likes to walk or run to some extent. And uh, that, that, that gives us a lot bigger tent to, to have that message. So uh, being in an industry, it's all about measuring improvements, measuring success, measuring what's going wrong and what's doing, what, what you need to find to improve things. How are you measuring the success of movement marketing then? Like what, what are the, the KPIs? Cause it's marketing. Like we can't have marketing without KPIs. What are the KPIs for a good community, a good movement driven marketing strategy? Yeah. So every time someone uses one of our products, we, we obviously have a, it, it's documented there. So we have a few different ways. So we have our wearable product, so anyone can buy it and use it themselves and go out for a run and, and, and measure their running identity. So every time someone does a run, if they're more engaged, they believe in the product and the brand and the, and the vision of running identity, that's a good sign. The second one is our Arian Hub. So like I say, if you walk into a store and you want to use the Arian Hub and find out what shoe uh, is best for you, um, that's obviously a, a really important um, one as well. And I think that the third one, which is where we want to get into, and I think this is where once you pass that stage, that's when you're in movement marketing, is when we don't have to encourage people to share their running identity anymore. And actually, we're not in charge of the conversation of saying why you need to do it. When you're at the point where you find a forum buried away somewhere uh, and there's five people sharing their running identities and going, oh, that's really interesting. That's different to mine. That's, I think, the ultimate sign of, of, of it's working. And I think that's where um, a lot of the great brands like Garmin who have, or Strava who have these big communities, they're not actually controlling or monitoring, uh, leading those conversations. They just pop up and start cultivating their own communities. Uh, and I think that's a... That's a, a really interesting one, but more often than not, we, you know, we're all about recording steps and the more steps we record, the more intelligent our algorithms get. So like I say, our dream is to get to recording billions of individual unique foot strikes from people all over the world. And by doing that, we're going to be able to understand more about human movement. And that's, that's what's really important for us to achieve our vision. And those, those self-petuating conversations, they can be an absolute goldmine for, for marketers, mm. the insights you can find there just the little like little nuggets of genius that you could co-opt for messaging and positioning and stuff like that. Like it's, it's totally. got to be extremely valuable, that kind of thing. Yeah. And also for guiding the, the product roadmap, I think uh, once again, going back to Tesla, I, I, I know through the conversations I've had that I think they choose a lot of their next upgrades based on those conversations and forums of listening to people who've saying, uh, not guessing what they want, or that's where it's great as a marketer to be able to stop predicting and trying to guess what your audience wants and just listening to them. Um, but you have to be able to build that environment and community to be able to do that. You know, the, the older way is to build focus groups where you're paying random people to come in, but uh, imagining the power of, of just having it somewhere where you can access and go in and say, and experiment with them and say, guys, we're we, you know, we're beta testing this. Can you tell us what you think? Um, what an asset that can be to to a brand um, to to get everything right before they they go live with a with a bigger product or a new feature. 
And, and it, feel, it will help your customers feel more connected to that brand, which yeah. will increase their the longevity. If they feel like they're having an influence over how products are evolving and stuff like that, then then they're going to stick around. They want to stay connected to the brand because they feel like they're having an influence. Is that something you've kept in mind when it comes to this? Yeah, I mean, I think we're, we're, we're far away from that now. I think we're, that's what's interesting to us is like, where do you, is it, do you build these communities or do they build themselves? Can you ever actually do it yourself? Can we sit there and build a, a Reddit channel and a Slack channel and maybe invite some of them in with, with the prospect of a few free discounts and things? Or is that the wrong way? Is it actually, do you just have to, like Patagonia, take the step into that world and let it um, hopefully emerge organically? Uh, but you're absolutely right. That's That's the what you're hoping will happen is that um you know we 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 always go back to these um the, the sales funnel and this idea of becoming an evangelist and i think that's what we're talking about is that that's what you want all of your consumers to be is that they're not just purchasing they don't just like the product they're an evangelist they love it it's part of their identity you know the guy wearing the harley davidson jacket is a harley davidson evangelist and one of the benefits of that um is he's going to help you grow your sales because he's going to convince other people to be part of it but as you've pointed out, the benefit to the brand is that you've got this great connection to same, same, hey, what do you love about your motorcycle? What would, what's it missing? What makes it better? How can we make the experience better for you? And uh, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's something that I think every brand aspires to, but it's just, it's really not easy. Uh, and actually the, the question remains, can you actually, is it something you can do yourself? How many of these brands actually thought of that and built to do it? or how many of it just were themselves believed in their own brand and it emerged around them and they just took advantage of it um, later on. There's, there's, that, there's a, a political idea of, uh, of grassroots movements and mm -hmm. astroturfing. And I think that's really yeah. applies to this grassroots can take a while to grow. It can stay a bit underground for a while, but then when it does come up, it's great. Astroturfing, you can get it down quick. It can be there but it always looks a little bit fake if you're not careful. Like put bad AstroTurf, you know it's fake straight away. Whereas like real grass, you know it's real grass just by looking at it. It's funny because it's, I think the two words that we're, we're coming back to over and over again, which is we're highlighted in that Deloitte piece as well, which is authenticity and transparency. And I think trans, we've talked a lot about authenticity, uh, but not, not so much about transparency. And I think you're hitting on it really well there is that you as always, as I said, we're so cynical. It's not enough to say it. You have to show it. And I think that's the key to a lot of these things. That um, That's why you should never get involved if you can't show it um, because you, you will be found out. And I think coming back to sustainability, that's where a lot of the, the problem lies because now every brand is saying we're the most sustainable brand. But can they actually back it up and, and show their transparency of doing it? And so I think that's a big um, thing to decide and to think about before you start moving in is, not only should we, can we back it up and can we show our transparency? Because ultimately that's going to be the difference between uh, being exposed and this being a success or a failure. And I think that what you're saying about astroturfing is, yeah, it's the perfect way to, to say that is that um, it, it, it seems disingenuous. Huh? And that's, that's one of the things you definitely don't want to be uh, perceived as, as a brand. So that, that, that probably hits what I was going to ask next about a golden rule for CMOs who are trying to set this up. We're trying to get into sort of the movement marketing approach. Is, is there anything else that you'd like to share in terms of advice that you've learned from your own experience, from the examples you've looked at um, for, for other CMOs looking to get into this kind of uh, activity? Yeah, I think I think we've hit on on, on two things on, on both ends. So we talked about it being the intersection between brand identity and uh, social trend. So I think on, on the social trend side, 
what we said is you have to be or, or authentic. So don't don't go into it if it's not um, uh, something that's not inspirational. It doesn't evoke emotion. So you need to do your research there. But first, I think on the other side is your brand is really understanding uh, what your brand is and who they are. And I think that's actually something underappreciated. Um, a, a lot of brands um, don't do a lot of work into that. And I think a lot of time spending understanding your own brand and your own brand identity is, is a is a really important first rule. I think something like uh, narrative design, which I find is a really useful useful tool in actually you know, mapping out your brand of who you want to be and how you're perceived is a really important first rule. The other thing I would say is, um, like we talked about this idea of, so not forcing it. So, you know, if, it, if it's not there, don't do it. Not every brand should do it. So um, it's not that uh, you, you just haven't, found the right social trend if you can't do it it's okay not to do it um but then i i, I think yeah i think it's it's a it's a, a thing about experimenting as well and and finding your own voice and uh, feeling out and and seeing what works but not forcing it if, if it's not there finally the other thing is is thinking long term which is one thing we haven't talked about some social trends are there and uh okay it might be the perfect fit but the social trend is something that's going to last one month. It's a fad or a, or a fashion, let's say. And your brand is something that has to stand the time and be around for a long time. And uh, and so it, the example, one example they gave is Pokemon Go, mm-hmm. which if you remember was the biggest thing in the world for one month. You'd look out your window and you thought people were, were crazy. And it seemed like that they were, doing, they were really going into a social trend there of... Um, combining the digital and physical worlds and getting out. There were so many articles written at the time that think this is going to be the next thing. And then as quick as it arrived, it, it went. And I'm sure there are some arguments about actually the, there's a longer term positives of that. But I think the to be very well aware of that, of is the thing you're going into going to be around for a very long time? Because you want your brand to be around for a very long time. So that's an important um, thing to research before you jump in. Uh, the, the kind of ties into what we discussed about there being the right time and the place for movements. Like sometimes you need to, sometimes a movement just isn't ready. Like, like the, the AR example with the, with Pokemon go, I think like the technology was there. The idea was there. It just wasn't, maybe society wasn't there yet. Maybe there will be a movement for that in the future, but we'll have to wait and see. I think, um, thank you very much, Elliot. This is a, this has been really, really great. I'm really excited to see how, how, how the Aryan foot strike movement evolves. I look forward to, to following along with that. Um, is there anywhere in particular that you would want to direct people to, to take a look at this kind of movement that you're trying to uh, trying to get going with Aryan? Yeah, I mean, just across uh, Aryan.run and all of our social pages, you can catch up on all of the things we're, we're doing and uh, hopefully got some, some big announcements and collaborations coming up. And ultimately, what we hope is that the next time you're buying running shoes, uh, you'll walk into to a running store and you'll see our product there and uh, take the opportunity, take 10 minutes to understand a little bit more about yourself. Uh, and because if you do that, it pays off in the long run. And so we're really looking, uh, looking forward to being part of that social trend of a little bit of self-discovery and, and, and the importance of listening to your body and the benefits that come with that. But yeah, you can follow most of what we do on Arian.run. Awesome. Thank you very much, Elliot. And thank you very much for our audience. I'm sure this has been an absolutely fascinating conversation because I I have thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, We'll be back soon with another CMO combo. Uh, Thank you once again. And thank you once again to Elliot. Thanks a lot.